So today, I have an announcement to make. I decided to change the theme of the podcast. Yes, as much as I like the idea to get into news and share socio-political opinions of various teenagers or people who are who are basically baby adults, I just quite didn't find myself waking up every day to record a political podcast with people. I couldn't find the drive to sit down and and just edit a political podcast. I've been procrastinating for days now. Now, don't get me wrong. Till date, all the political podcasts, including the one that you're about to listen, I've made them with pure interests and joy. But I also want you guys to remember the fact that it's almost been 7 to 8 months since I launched my podcast and a lot has happened in my life in the past 7 to 8 months. As a result of this mean time, I have become a very changed person. I no longer have the interest that I used to have. I enjoy new things in life now. I used to enjoy politics, but I don't anymore. And that's it. So, what now? What am I going to do? Is this a goodbye message? No, no it's not. I'm actually going to do what I love to do the most in the world, which is talking. Yes. Talking to people, getting to know their stories, getting to know about their highs and lows in life. I love to understand where a person comes from and more often than not you'll find me deeply engaged in a conversation with someone who I've met for the first time in my life given the other person has the time too so from the next podcast onwards I will be bringing to you amazing stories of really interesting teenagers will be a, which will be an eye opener for a lot of people stories of teenagers who've been there done that struggled got down got up only to fly high dodging the societal taboos like vicious beasts and give you the answers and give you the ways to deal with whatever they dealt with so that you my dear listener will know that you are not alone but of course we're going to have rich soulful and lovely conversation that will keep you hooked but till then I bring you today's guest which will be my lovely friend and a model UN buddy Yash Goel on everything about the farmers protest enjoy Hi Yash how are you All good all good on the beauty Oh my god I'm amazing <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> for the people jo bhi sun rahe hain we had planned the podcast almost 25 days ago यश के भी एग्जाम्स आ गए थे फिर मेरे भी एग्जाम्स आ गए थे तो आई जस्ट वॉन्ट यू गेस्ट नो इसकी प्रिपरेशन बहुत टाइम से हो रही है एंड वेल मी एंड यश वी मीटिंग ओवर मॉडल यू एन लॉट हम लोग ऑलमोस्ट आई डोंट नो मे बी थ्री टू फोर ईयर्स पहले मिले थे एंड तब से back to the history when it all started or abhi 2020 mein kya ho raha hai protest ke bare mein baad mein baat karenge all right so uh, india has always been a very agricultural committee country as such mm-hmm. and even if we go back in history agar hum east india company ke time pe bhi jaye to 1765 mein 
स्टार्टिंग ऑफ द्रिटिश ईस्ट इंडिया कंपनी का एम्पायर का जो स्टार्टिंग हुआ था दैट वॉज एग्रीकल्चरल इन देंस वेन दे रिसीव द ग्रांट ऑफ दिवानी विच इज वेन द नवाब ऑफ बंगाल अलाउड टू ऑप्टेन टैक्सेस दैट इज वेन वी कंसिडर द एक्चुअल बिगिनिंग ऑफ द ब्रिटिश रूल इन इंडिया फॉर एग्जाम्पल so india has okay. always been a very agriculturally driven com- uh, country and that has been utilized well by both the british paymasters during their rule and the subsequent indian governments and agriculture has been in a sense the supporting factor for india's population growth and economic growth as well okay for a very long time that agriculture was stagnated into intensive practices in a sense practices which were very rudimentary in nature using a lot of let's say organic uh, manure as fertilizer hand tool without mm. any automation stuff like that and mm. that is what led to food shortages in the 1950s and the 1960s that was dealt by what we call as the green revolution which came to be known as the so, single biggest thing which ultimately led to the resurgence of indian agriculture and led to india being a surplus producer of agriculture Mm. that point is when we had automated machinery we had large scale extensive farming we had chemical fertilizers all that came into the picture and ever since then we have been producing a lot so much so that we are completing our demands entirely but we are also exporting a lot in fact mm-hmm. we are one of the largest exporters in the world in uh, things like tea for example um now lately what has been coming is since the system is virtually unchanged since the 1960s which is when ms swaminathan and norman borlaug had their green revolution in india so there has been a call for reform in this sector specifically dealing with how the produce is sold because if we look at the okay. pre amendment structure of the markets as such it has been virtually identical since the green revolution and that market structure okay. is what lies at the core of the contention that is the farm protests so essentially what the market structure is like is every state has something known as an apmc an agricultural produce marketing committee which essentially okay. sets prices and serves as a mediating body for uh, selling of produce now what the apmc does is, is it notifies certain areas as mandis and farmers from all over the state can come and they can set up their produce at these mandis where they sell it to middlemen who are appointed by the apmcs themselves and ultimately the middlemen are the ones who further carry out the purchase now what the new suggested specifically the uh, the bill which is titled Uh, the the first of the three contentious bills the farmers produce trade and commerce pr- pr- uh, promotion and facilitation act which is the first of the three contentious acts the act basically says that this compulsory uh, three step process that you have from farmer to mm-hmm. movement to, con- uh, to <coughs> consumer or whoever they gave the farmers an option to eliminate the middleman in this case in a sense they said that farmers do not need to come to an apmc to sell stuff to sell their produce if they find a, a deal with a, a private mandi or a private hmm. player or some or anybody functioning in their private capacity then they are free to approach that now this might sound like a very simple thing but there are three main factors that come into play here 
first of all about mm-hmm. tax since agriculture is primarily a state subject so what happens is every transaction that uh, goes on in a government mandi is subjected to tax and that tax is paid by the middleman to the state government and it actually forms a major part of the state's revenue during um especially in cases uh, in states where the agriculture produces very high okay so what the new bills talk about is that if you are selling outside a government mandi to a private player there will be no tax on that interaction which actually does make sense honestly because since there is no direct government involvement in this case it makes no sense to have taxation on this huh. this ultimately creates an incentive for the private players on this secondly mm-hmm. to the hotly debated topic of msp msp is the buzzword that's going around a lot but it's hmm. important for us to understand the dynamics of, of msp which i'll get to later but in short msp or minimum support price is the value that the government will offer a farmer if the farmer cannot get adequate price in the mandi particularly to address okay. the fact that many farmers who do not get adequate pricing for their uh, produce in a in a totally free market do end up committing mm. suicide which is which has become a major problem in the country in the past few years so to prevent- all right let me let me stop you i'm sorry to stop you here but i want to clear out one yeah. thing so the government uh, according to the msp which is the minimum selling price so the government incentivizes in not even incentivizes but basically rules out a particular bill saying ki is month ke liye is produce ka itna bhav hai True. right is is mandi mein tumhe बेसिक मिनिमम सपोज पालक है तो यू कैन सेल आई डोंट नो मेबी ट्वेंटी रुपीज पर के जी पालक ठीक है ये गवर्नमेंट बोलती है कि तुम्हें इतना देना है बट इसके अलावा भी वेन यू गो टू दूल मंडी पीपल विलिंग लेस देन ट्वेंटी रुपीज पर के जी जस्ट बिकॉज ऑफ दम्पिटिशन राइट तो दिस इज हाउ द करप्शन इज टेकिंग प्लेस एंड डू यू थिंक द न्यू बिल विच इज कमिंग इन टू प्लेस रूल्स आउट दिस सॉर्ट ऑफ करप्शन इन एनी मैनर so first of all one uh, correction out here the msp is not mm-hmm. a base price below which it cannot fall the msp okay. instead a backup option it's like the msp that is set by these apmcs it is not a base price from which the negotiations start and cannot dip below it is an alternative assuming a farmer has x quintals of potatoes or let's stick with spinach mm-hmm. because that's the example you used Uh, yeah. has x quintals of spinach and wants to sell them uh, sell it to prospective buyers but nobody is willing mm. to pay an amount that will recover the person's investment as well as give the person enough income to sustain their family for the required period of time then what they have is they, they can sell the produce to the government instead and that procurement is done on the msp and that food is then used by the government for public distribution for warehousing for further selling to higher payers stuff like that essentially so the fact that you mentioned that how people are selling mm. at lower prices than msps the there are there are two points to that argument one is that that happens very rarely and if that happens that is ultimately the vendor who is trying to cover up their losses assuming they have not had enough sale Mm-hmm. and secondly if that happens that might also be so because according to the ministry of uh, agriculture and farmers welfare only 6% of all farmers in the country have on an average uh, exercise their msp rights which is in the sense only 6% of all farmers have actually sold their products at msp to the government 
so isn't that a good thing that means they're being incentivized in a proper manner in the market it can be a good thing if it is if there is no corruption involved because uh, if if that is if we take if we assume that no corruption is involved in this case then it just means that everybody hmm. is getting a better price however if that means that there is corruption involved it just it might just mean that because of the corruption in the system which is an existing problem we cannot nobody can deny that the farmers are still not able to get the adequate price maybe that might be due to malpractices by the middlemen or due to lack of information on behalf of the farmers that they are unable to exercise their rights and that has been okay. a yes. big criticism of the farmers demands of msp per se okay okay oh yes can you please dive in a little bit and give us an example of what the cor- corruption is actually like can you give an example kya sa corruption hai all right real mm-hmm. all right so uh, the cases of if you take the 6% example only there have been many um, there, there have been general cases in which um, since there is no effective redressal mechanism that will hear out the grievances of the farmers assuming they have a dispute at the apmc that essentially leads to a lot of malpractices by the um, middlemen uh, specifically for example in punjab and up particularly where these systems are very prevalent and which the states which are actually very agriculturally heavy agriculturally heavy uh, it it has been so observed that a farmer for example when approaching the mandi to sell the uh, produce has been subjected to things like cartelization so for example okay. assuming there is a farmer who has had a feud with or has had a conflict with the uh, with any of the middlemen out there over price so the middlemen so the middlemen in many cases have been known to form unions of sorts and to boycott the farmer entirely and without the presence of an external mechanism to sell the produce somewhere else that has led to ruin to a lot of farmers because if your local mandi is not taking your produce because every middleman refuses to uh, they're, they're essentially singling you out then that is a very mm. sad situation for the farmer particularly and that does call and mm. ultimately there are also cases of bribery of um middleman taking bribes in order to uh, prioritize one farmer over the other so these two are the right. big cases that are being talked about when people are recommending the alternate structure of private mandis as well hmm all right got it okay okay now uh, moving forward uh, the second major hotly uh, debated topic was uh, an extension of the fact that farmers are now being given an alternative to talk to private players particularly hmm. that was of contract farming see earlier the structure was the farmer had entire freedom as to what to plant and that and ultimately it was on the market forces whether the product would get bought or not and that mm. led to two things one it led to uh, fund shortages because ultimately it was the farmers own funds which were going into it and if the farmer chose to produce a and a very intensive crop for example rice which requires a lot of water mm. then um the expense on the farmer was very high and ultimately if the farmer did not get the requisite price for example the price of rice during the time of selling was not high enough then that would ultimately lead to a loss for the farmer and second mm-hmm. what uh, that led uh, what that led to was um many farmers in their in due to misinformation due to lack of correct information 
started planting or let's say started cultivating varieties which were either not very profitable or were already being grown in large numbers in the uh, entire agricultural land let's talk about punjab for example which is known as the rice bowl of the country now rice hmm. in particular as i mentioned earlier is a very water intensive crop so it has a leaching effect on the soil for example if you grow uh, rice on one patch of soil for a large for a long period of time over and over again it is not very good for the soil's health per se and that is why the entire land has uh, is at a risk of becoming unfertile or becoming not as productive productive as it uh, used to be if that happens then farmers have no option but to go towards chemical fertilizers which in themselves are very toxic for the land Mm. that is why to promote agricultural diversification the idea of contract farming has come into place what that says is instead of putting the farmers directly to private players after the cultivation has done we do that process before the start, before the seeds are sown in the first place so mm-hmm. a corporation or a businessman or any local industry can approach a farmer can strike a deal about what crop what quality what amount of it is to be grown over a certain period of time and then um essentially the farmer can carry out that contract and once the entire uh, once the produce is cut once the produce is complete then the farmer receive the then the contract is essentially complete now this is what is called in a sense contract farming and it does exist in india in some cases particularly in the state of bihar but mm-hmm. more into what contract farming actually is because it is explicitly covered under the second act which is the farmers empowerment and protection agreement on price assurance and farm services this is second act. so what it basically says is uh, assuming a private player approaches a farmer for cultivating x variety of x crop for x purpose for uh, x period of time and this much capacity now the onus is on the uh, the industry the the onus is on the, uh, the corporate house to essentially provide for the equipment that might be required in this case because there is now this guarantee that this amount of land is going to be used for the industrialist purposes as well uh, entirely so uh-huh. what the government says is this will allow the industrialist to invest more in the agricultural sector to invest more in machinery in more efficient methods and the best part about this is at least in my opinion is that assuming a crop fails which is a very big problem especially due to climate change and changing weather patterns given that in uh-huh. agriculture is mostly monsoon based if the crop fails in in the normal conventional system there is no fallback mechanism to like save the farmer in this case and that is what has led to a lot of suicides for example in the district of latur in maharashtra there was a case of multiple suicides because of droughts okay now what would happen is assuming a contract is signed and the agriculture the the produce of that area fails due to rainfall or any other reason any other non preventable reason Hmm. onus of that loss is not on the farmer but on the industrialist themselves so farmer does not have to actually pay for that okay that is what talk far- nice. that is what the contract farming in particularly talks about okay the contention that is being put forward is the one very simple contention uh, before i deal with the contentions of the 
pharma unions at large is that first of all for a contract to be signed we need to ensure that both parties have the adequate knowledge because if one party is more knowledgeable than the other or one hmm. party is hindered in this case then contracts cannot be signed because contracts are ultimately signed between equal uh, equal entities it is only okay. then fair contract so assuming an industrialist uses heavy legal terms and ek second just yes. you said that a contract has to be signed between two equal entities did you mean that uh, a contract should be signed if both the entities have an equal understanding of the contract that is what it means in essence because ultimately a contract is an agreement to do something which is legally binding yeah now what that something is should ultimately procure something for something it should benefit both parties okay and if it doesn't benefit both parties then ultimately one party is at a superior position hmm. so the argument that's being put forward is in a contract in assuming a contract is being signed between a farmer and an industrialist then we must understand that more often than not it might be so that the farmer does not have the adequate knowledge in this case Hmm. There are no, no, there are no sensitization programs uh, to ensure that farmers do uh, have the requisite knowledge. And if that knowledge is not present, then it is very easy for an industrialist to manipulate a farmer. Hmm. That is one contention. Second contention is if there is any dispute, then the jurisdiction lies with the SDM, the Subdivisional Magistrate. and not the courts earlier it used to lie to a civil court because ultimately a, the violation of a contract is a civil violation hmm. so given that there is no involvement of the court here and that we are not unaware of the cases of bribery that happen in this country hmm. so the uh, actual uh, redressal mechanism was also something that was uh, addressed that was addressed by the farm unions especially in their protest okay so in the essence of everything the farmers are pretty concerned that the court is not going to be involved if something goes wrong in the future yeah and hence it's not safe right yeah okay understandable all right and talking about the third act specifically which is the essential commodities amendment act the act has a very specific purpose uh, it basically um, see basically under um, under uh, schedule 12 if i'm not wrong um the government has uh, classified uh, various commodities as essential commodities what that does is that essentially gives the government uh, the right to impo- impose stock limits on to them which means that people cannot hoard these supplies because these are considered to be essential supplies for example things like petrol you cannot hoard petrol and when prices rise you can you don't you can't sell them at higher price sell it at higher prices because that price manipulation is prohibited by the essential commodities act mm-hmm. these commodities are as the name suggests essential so what the amendment says is it removes food items particularly cereals and vegetables from the ambit of the essential commodities mm-hmm. which means that earlier people could not stock them now they can now they can you know, there there are no stock limits per se and stock limits can only be imposed in extraordinary situations like war or famine that mm. is only when that is the only time when the government can impose any stock uh, stock uh, limits on these the purpose is doing so in doing so is essentially in line with the idea of making agriculture a free market per se mm. the government's line of uh, argument in this entire case is that agriculture particularly <coughs> sorry that agriculture particularly is very heavily controlled by the government 
and that due to bureaucracy the entire process is being slowed down a lot mm. they, want they want to open it up to the free market they want to open up open it up to market forces they want to make uh, they want to add on to the government's idea of ease of doing business and that they want to achieve by minimizing government control and giving more liberty to the farmers and that is essentially the basic rationale behind the introduction of the three agricultural laws first okay so as a summary if if i'm not wrong all right the government is basically removing a safety net jahan par the farmers who were growing the crops they had a safety net that okay if i don't sell all of my produce in the mandi market i can sell it to the government at this particular price so ultimately i won't be going at a loss now from okay uh, if i if i may use an analogy a person who will be working a job he'll be getting a salary every month all right now mm-hmm. the per, now the career trajectory for the person is quite safe until you know that person observes a recession in this case maybe a famine or drought or whatever yeah so the farmers still now are working a job okay where they will be they were they had the power to sell their produce at the mandi if they didn't sell enough to the mandi they can sell it to the government ultimately getting a profit now when a person from a job quits his job becomes an entrepreneur he can certainly run a good business on lots of money which otherwise he wouldn't have made at a job but he still is at a risk of not making any money for quite a while the farmers have now switched from a job to an entrepreneur all right they can make a lot of money the government is backing them up but they no, do not have a safety net in this case and they are concerned about the safety net only am i right um your analogy is right to some extent but yeah. i would like to just tweak it a bit in this hmm. case um first of all um msp in particular is not meant to be a form of uh, is not meant to be a source of profit and that when the msp is determined by the state government it is determined at a no profit no loss price okay so the purpose of the msp is not to ensure that the farmer receives profit the purpose of the msp is to ensure that the farmer does not go into heavy loss mm-hmm. and the farmer at least recovers what the farmer had invested and a bit to uh, to basically uh, sustain their family got it now another key difference is why this is not like a job is that farming in india is very seasonal especially rural farming and the bulk of income that comes from farming comes twice a year which is when the rabi crops are sold and when the kharif crops are sold when the summer and winter crops are sold hmm. income is not year round it is it is in periods and that is why uh, farmers are often subjected to what is known as periodic unemployment got it so that factor is there and ulti- but ultimately your point stands right that uh, the lack of safety net per se uh that the that you talked about that is something that the farm unions have been arguing towards mm. however what the government is saying is that they haven't removed the, the safety net what they have done is that they have given another alternative because the mandi procurement system is not going away that is what the government says at least uh what they are essentially doing is if you go to a private player if you get a good deal they good for you if you don't get a good deal with the private players you get a good deal at a mandi at a government mandi good for you if you don't get that as well we still have msp and that is where the contention lies hmm. now that is what the government's argument is and it sounds very fair on paper but what the farmer unions are essentially uh, concerned about is that if the government creates an alternative mechanism 
which is more incentivized than the existing one is that will lead to a slow defunctment of the first of the pre-existing method for example let's assume ah uh, so let's assume that these bills have been implemented and that private mandis exist now i mentioned earlier that there is no taxing on private interactions because obviously and obviously uh, the uh, rationale that the government has is also right to some extent that private players will, will essentially offer more money because direct competition the price mechanism that is that comes into place will ensure that now more and more farmers will start choosing private mandis over government mandis therefore the number of people who actually use msp will reduce considerably from what it actually is right now mm. and if that happens for a period of 2 3 or 4 years then ultimately msp as a as an idea will become defunct because the entire time the corporates will be asking for uh, will be uh, giving a higher price than what the msp is obviously mm. once we are at a stage where private mandis are all that is there and that government mandis are defunct then the corporates will lower their prices and because there is no msp to fall back on anymore that is when the farmer income will seriously drop and that is the concern of the farmers in this case essentially mm. and that is why you are seeing a wave of distrust uh, among the farmers towards big industrialists in india particularly about reliance particularly about adani uh, reliance in particular because it already has um, a chain of um, fresh produce selling adani does not have one yet but allegations are that adani is looking into doing that as well mm. so that is also a source of the mistrust towards the corporates that has come into the picture and that is why a lot of reliance dio towers were even brought down in yeah. punjab during the protests okay mm. so ultimately in the long run in the long run it's being speculated that the farmers will be at a definite loss right and that's why people are opposing it yeah okay and what about the statements from the government and these private sectors have any of the big uh, private players spoken about it yet um the uh, let's talk about the private players first hmm. first of all uh, adani um, mr gautam adani had cleared his position that he does not intend to um move into the agriculture market so far hmm. uh, move into the direct selling par- uh, market so far and uh, similarly uh, the reliance industries has also released advertisements and statements saying that they support the farmers that they understand the contribution of the farmers to the country and they are not willing to engage in any predatory practices as such mm. the government's line has been so far especially talking about uh, the the argument that the opposition has been putting forward that the government has corporate friends okay. that the government has been denying very denying very vocally so far uh-huh. uh and again sorry and uh again talking about the response to the protest at lads if i may be uh, if i may talk about that the government's response so far has been three pronged it has focused in three directions first it has been about talking about the benefits of the act which is being contended because the farmers say that this part was should have been done before the acts were put forward now see talking about specific issues with the act the acts per se the first is that there was not enough communication and that is one thing that the farmers are complaining about 
see uh, when the acts were essentially br- uh, first introduced they were introduced as ordinances in the month of june if i'm not wrong mm-hmm. now ordinances do not uh, are essentially presidential uh, are essentially presidential orders in a sense so, uh, which are passed when the parliament is not in order so because of covid 19 when the parliament sessions were uh, abruptly stopped mm-hmm. that is when the governments introduced these laws as ordinances so that uh, to the effect that they did not receive any parliamentary consultation till that point mm. and when the parliament resumed they were brought into the parliament as acts okay. now first contention here is huh, now the first contention here is before being introduced as ordinances there was not enough conversation with the right stakeholders to before before these acts were formulated because essentially it is a very essential part of uh, policy making that if a bill directly affects someone if a legislation directly affects someone that someone should be taken into account in the decision making process itself fair enough so the so the farmers are basically saying that this conversation with the farm union should have been done before talking about the um, uh, about the amendments in the first place because ultimately it affects them and it is their knowledge that is being uh, that that is very important in formulating these uh bills which was not done mm. secondly in the parliament there was a huge fiasco during in the rajya sabha where the uh, on the 20th and the 21st of september when what happened is uh, when the bills were being discussed first of all a lot of members were not present secondly the voting on the bill was done through voice vote so what happens is there are essentially two ways to vote on the mm. one is through voice vote other is through proper like individual voting and that that the second method is called voting by division mm. so when the voice vote was held then the chairperson said the chairperson which was the deputy speaker the deputy chairperson of the house shri hari vansh uh he said that the votes are in favor of the bill and the bill is passed what happened there i i have no idea what happened but chalo anyways same so Yeah, for the listeners, can you explain what is the difference between a voice vote and a normal vote? And listeners, this is going to be really interesting. Just hear this out. All right. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, whenever a bill is pa- present, whenever a bill is presented in the parliament, there are essentially two ways of voting. One is a voice voice vote, and one is a vote by division. Okay. In a voice vote, the speaker or the presiding officer of the house essentially asks all those in favor to say aye, all those against to say nay. and depending on which one sounds louder the speaker uh, decides if whether the eyes have it or the nays have it why okay. sound like a very uh, like a very inefficient method yeah it it does the job essentially because the vote is essentially representative of what the majority in the house is and majorities as we know do not change very often however if there is some contention with this if any member feels that the decision that is being taken by vote by hmm. voice vote is not right then hmm. any member can st- stand and ask for division okay and the common commonly accepted practice is if even one person asks for division then the presiding officer has to comply okay so what happens is every mp then returns to their seat and then they put individual votes through an electronic system so that it's a clear and direct process hmm. so what happened during that time is because the, a voice vote was held 
which shouldn't have been held at least that is what the farm unions are saying because first of all the farm the opposition parties in the house were already protesting mm. they were already sloganeering in the house so the entire point of a voice vote is nullified secondly a lot of opposition members asked for a division vote mm. but that request was not fulfilled by the speaker and the bills were passed by the rajya sabha without a division vote now the actual the worst part about it the most hotly uh, criticized part about it is that the live telecast of the rajya sabha tv which was which is always run during the uh, sessions of the rajya sabha mm. that was muted during times of the voting when the voice vote was held the te- the television broadcast was mm. muted so all these unlawful practices what on these unlawful practices then i mean The, uh, the legality of that this is being questioned because ultimately since uh, rajya sabha tv is a public office so it shouldn't have been done yeah. but a petition was filed by one mr saket gokhale in the supreme uh, an rti was filed essentially which said that the mics fell under the ministry of urban development under minister hardeep singh puri so there's been a lot of um, debate and all that but no solution has been reached so far Okay yes so, so but but tell me um if the voting was going on and if people have filed uh these what do you call it oh my god uh are petition yeah, yeah uh, in the court uh, to check the legality or the legitimacy of the voting system so if these were if people think that the the procedure was uh, incorrect or corrupt yeah. and the procedures are being looked into but no particular re- result or verdict has been sent out by the government or by the particular authorities the protests and the ongoing bill and everything is still going on right so the yeah. time moves on people are still protesting everything is still happening uh, at the same time and people are already waiting on a work de- verdict of whether whatever happened is right or wrong so isn't that ultimately truly wrong shouldn't this be looked into primarily ki let's figure this out ki what happened is the vote legit or not and then you know we should move on with things further kyunki this happened in september but ultimately we observed protests in uh, on january 26 to will be coming on that hmm. but what about this did you get the question yeah i did okay so i mentioned earlier as well that these votes uh, in a sense uh, in the parliament although they are a very integral part they are essentially representative of the majorities in the house okay and if the, and if it is clear by on the government side that it it was essentially an accepted fact that majority will not be a problem so the actual the actual contention that was present here was not the fact that the procedure was not followed and if the procedure would have been followed the act wouldn't have been passed the contention was a disregard for the procedures mm. that even for the sake of it if you are following procedures that is needed because there are me- mechanisms in process to for grievances to be raised and if you look at it if we un- if we we all are aware that there were rounds of talks that were held between farmer uh, between the farmer unions and the ministers right mm-hmm. multiple rounds of talks were held now people were saying these talks are essentially to achieve at the same consensus that was to be achieved by parliamentary debates Mm-hmm. of debating an act or a bill in a parliament is to iron out these details in the first place 
and if that debate part is not done that, that then that essentially means that the parliament is functioning as a rubber stamp a rubber stamp in the sense that it is simply bowing down to the will of the majority without fulfilling its actual roles and that negligence is what essentially became a part of the protest but that is not to say that this was the sole reason why the protest started the protest started for because of the contentions in the acts itself which we have talked about in the past and which we will continue to talk about Mm. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So moving on, you've answered this question, and we were talking about how the negligence led to further um, disruption of the whole farmers' unit union community. People started yeah. getting aware. The news channels started finally. They started focusing uh, when a lot of farmers started protesting, which is sad. But let's move on to. Twenty six January, what happened okay. there? Okay, so twenty six January was essentially a culmination of what had been building upon for the past two months or so. Twenty six January, in the sense that it was actually the two month anniversary of the start of the protest at the uh, Delhi borders. Okay. So what happened is, um, when these protests, these protests actually started in a very slow manner. Mm. Started a few weeks after um, the entire um, the entire acts were passed, and this sta- the the one the first big incident that happened in this case was the re- resignation of the union minister for food food processing, um, the leader of the leader from Shiromani Akali Dal, uh, Har Simrat Kaur Badal. Okay. So essentially, Shiromani Akali Dal, which is a very big party in Punjab. and mm. punjab as we know was the epicenter of the protest mm. drew their minister their minister position and resigned from the nda per se uh, in in solidarity with the farmers and that was considered to be the single biggest incident mm. now what happened is lots of farmers subsequently at, uh, motivated by a lot of local leaders be it political or local or non political especially the 500 odd uh, farm unions as such particularly led by primary primarily the samyukt kisan morcha the all india kisan sangharsh coordination oh. committee and the bku the bharatiya oh. kisan union these three were the three biggest organizations the farmers started moving towards delhi in protest now earlier on when they reached delhi around the 25th of november the police used tear ca- tear uh, ca- tear grenades and water cannons and everything tear gas yeah yeah but all of that was later covered by the media so the police and the local administration denied permission for these protesters to enter delhi and that hmm. is why they set up their camps at basically two main spots singhu and tikri which are at the borders of uh, delhi so there the farmers started uh, piling up they started uh, gathering from various parts of primarily punjab and haryana but also some from western up and they started asking for permission to uh, enter delhi to go to jantar mantar or ramlila maidan to protest now this is the point where the minister stepped in where the union cabinet stepped in and started the process of consultation okay and these two This places Uh, Ramlila Maidan and the other place that you just mentioned; these are the hotspots of Delhi, right? 
these are places which are often used for protests for example ramleena maidan is where the india against corruption movement led by anna hazare was held in okay. 2012 okay and jantar mantar is where arvind kejriwal held the protest in 2015 when his 49 day government resigned okay these are considered to be big spots where protests are held where large gatherings are held and that is why the farmers wanted um, the permission to protest in that region okay okay so okay just, uh, what i just needed to ask you one more thing even to protest do you do you have to go to the police and ask for their permission can't you just go and protest over there see it depends a lot on the scale honestly um, for example in this case there were hundreds of thousands of farmers in mm. fact the uh, 24 hour strike that was held on the 26th of november so participation from over uh, 25 crore people throughout the country which is a huge number wow so if we look at the scale that will obviously lead to issues in uh, public order mm. in transportation in safety as well which is which is actually what happened on the 26th of january but more on that later mm. so essentially the permission needs to be granted by the local authorities by the local police administration for such large protest uh, uh, protests and demonstrations to be held and delhi police in the first in, in initially refused uh, permission for these protests and the matter actually went to the supreme court mm. the judgment the ruling was essentially that the supreme court has no uh, locus has no responsibility to allow or deny such protests it is ultimately the job of the police and the administration mm. and the police still should allow these protests if they are held in a proper manner mm. and that is when the farm unions essentially came together they set up a route that they set up a route that these are the, this is the route that will be followed on the 26th of january for the protests but before we move on to the details of the protest we must understand that right before the protest a very interesting proposal came from the side of the government mm-hmm. the court earlier on only had uh, stayed the implementation of the farm acts because of the entire outrage and I had asked the government to engage in uh, discussions and consultations and the government had actually caved in in a lot of demands of the farmers mm. which is an odd development because the modi government in general has been known to have a my way or the highway attitude mm. which was in during caa if you look at the caa protests something very similar happened uh, a section of the society came forward and said that these acts are wrong they protested against it and the narrative was actually very similar however in that case the government denied any amendments any settlement any middle ground and just refused to acknowledge any demands but in this case after consultations the government actually conceded to a lot of demands first of them the first was msp being le- uh, a written guarantee towards msp the document that they talked about was a resolution in a sense it was not legally binding but essentially the government said that it served the purpose of assuring the people mm. they wanted to ta- they had also accepted to tax the private mandis which again is uh, antithetical to the very idea of the bill exactly they had compromised that uh, because of the protest but the farmer unions did not accept that and ultimately they said that we will suspend the bills for a period of 18 months a year and a half mm. during that time we will have consultations we will have committees and we'll amend the bill the acts during that time and after that we'll implement them okay sounds fair but that proposal was also rejected by the farmers oh okay 
and that is where uh, that because if we talk personally i do feel that it was a fair proposal hmm. 18 months is a long period of time yeah and the fact that the government is caving in to this extent means a lot hmm. but the farm unions were adamant on the fact that it makes no sense to do the consultations now they should have been done before the bills were introduced in the first place and that they will not rest unless the bills are withdraw- withdrawn completely okay and it is then when they basically stated once again that 26 january which was less than a week away from this judgment mm. that we are going to go to delhi we are going to have a proper rally mm. and the delhi police had clearly objected saying that republic day parade is a very big event which has international guests visiting mm. and that this will lead to national embarrassment mm. and everything like that because it doesn't sound great because last time in, in january 2020 when trump had visited india that is when the delhi riots had actually started and that had led to a lot of international outcry mm-hmm. so not wanting something like that to happen again they had denied it but ultimately they gave permission for a specific route to be followed and that is how we come to what happened on the 26th mm-hmm. now on the 26th the plan was essentially to uh, have a have a huge tractor parade close to 2 lakh tractors were said to have taken part mm-hmm. and uh, the from gazipur singhu and tikri they had to come inside delhi they had to parade mm. uh, at prominent places and then they had to leave that was the plan and that was going all right until a group of people split and started heading towards the red fort mm. and that is what we all saw on television that day so what happened on the red fort was a uh, red fort was essentially was initially not on the route of the protest mm. march but a group of farmers uh, and a group of protesters moved towards that place and essentially stormed the red fort mm. and that is when the flag the controversial flag mm. was raised mm. now social media and a lot of people said that it was a flag that represented khalistan mm. which is the separate which is the separate uh, the separatist movement which basically wants an independent state for sikhs okay but later it was pointed out that it was a simple religious flag known as the nishan sahib which has no um, separatist um, significance as such okay this was coupled by some violence at the ito metro station where the police had actually lathi charged the protesters where there were some skirmishes and one protester had even died due to overturning of the mm. and that is what essentially happened and right after this all the protesters were driven out and barricades were dug at singhu tikri and gazipur the three spots and they were not allowed to enter again and this is where the actual controversy started about the protests in general because before that it was all about um this the, the the narrative in essence was about whether these are externally funded whether these are anti national whether these are khalistani and what mm. which which bears some fruit on which bears some truth honestly because in a lot of places outside in places like new york and mm-hmm. london many pro farmer rallies were held where khalistani slogans were raised okay. and a lot of pro khalistani organizations had come out in support of the farmers protest but that is not to say that the entire protest was at the behest of the khalistan movement per se but because of the incidents of violence that just gave the police and the media and everybody an excuse to basically discredit the entire movement as being violent and anti national and that is 
when the actual repression towards the farmers started mass arrests and all of that happened mm. right and this was this was the exact same time when uh, uh, when the whole rihana thing happened with the one specific group in canada they were thought to incentivize rihana with 1 million dollars and her tweet coming out in regards of the same but ultimately it was false mm-hmm. yeah because uh, what happened is uh, after the 26 january protests the world started taking notice of what exactly happened. and um, when that is when celebrities like mia khalifa rihana mm-hmm. all of them started coming out in support of uh, the protest that is when the infamous toolkit kit uh, incident also happened with the greta yeah also mm-hmm. joining in the entire uh, with, with disharavi and mm-hmm. everything more on that mm-hmm. later but um, i i personally do not find any merit in the argument that rihana was tweeting on a paid uh, because she was paid by the argument was basically leveled against two organizations mm-hmm. ffj which is seeks for justice which, which is alleged to be a pro khalistani uh, organization mm-hmm. and one jagdeep singh jagmeet singh i'm so sorry jagmeet singh is actually a very important politician in canada which we all know has a very high, which has a considerable punjabi diaspora so uh, jagmeet singh had openly talked about uh, talked against uh, the government's action in the farmers case which had also led to justin trudeau giving a statement in favor of the right of protest that the farmers had right but i do not find any merit in that because first of all the incident had become global by this point and it is not uncommon for people to speak up about incidents uh, in other parts mm. of the world i mean it virtually ev- most celebrities in india to- uh, spoke in solidarity with the black lives matter movement yeah. that was happening in the us so to say that it is an internal matter and others should not interfere makes no sense because ultimately we, in a globalized society it cannot be so that we ignore things that are happening in other parts of the exactly world. the rest of the world has talked during kashmir as well when everybody changed their dps on instagram to blue due to what was happening in mm. we did that as well so to say that the rest of the world is simply politically motivated makes no sense to me mm. and this was at the same time when even sachin dadulkar came out saying um, that he condemns the action by other celebrities across the borders who are supporting or even commenting on the farmers protest when ultimately people across the border were commenting basically on the humans uh, human rights violation wherein they observed the police lati charging on older people and one man eventually being killed in the process yeah uh, to correct you the person was not killed as a result of lati charge the person was killed as a result of the track coming home. yeah 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 but that is but that is not to say that police brutality was not there in fact uh, one uh, a protest by a protester by the name of arun kumar has been released uh, recently he in connection uh, he was in prison for about 50 days in connection to the farm protest mm-hmm. and he has uh, come out to talk a lot about how he was tortured in prison about how he suffered multiple fractures how ptsd and his nails were pulled out and everything there the case is still being uh, is still going on so police brutality was certainly there now um the sachin tendulkar issue the issue about indian celebrities coming out in support of the government mm. and against uh, india against misinformation was the hashtag that they trended now many people say that that was again at the behest of the government because celebrities like akshay kumar and sachin tendulkar came out and 
essentially said that we are resisting foreign elements in the protest which again has no merit because these celebrities have have often taken to social media to talk about incidents in other parts mm. and again the fact that a lot of these celebrities started tweeting at the same time roughly the same time about the same subject it does not sound very organic mm. so that is one um, contention there as well okay Mm-mm. However, however, more on the toolkit case because it's pretty important to deal with. Yeah, we're going to know a lot about this. What is the toolkit? Yeah. How so, did it emerge? Uh, what happened? What happened? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about what a mm. toolkit is in a sense. A a very major tool of protesting, a very major tool of shaping and voicing public opinion is social media right now. That is one thing that we all cannot deny. in fact right after 26 january the one, one of the very first steps that the government took uh, took was to order twitter to ban over 500 accounts of pages that were suspected to be pro so when we talk about social media a very important thing in social media is to generate consensus uh, is to generate a, a lot of public opinion at the same time and that is how hashtags are and what a toolkit essentially is it serves as a guide to protests it basically says if you go on and if you read the document it is available in public domain the document essentially says that on these dates on this time you trend these hashtags you tag these people you talk to these people you do demonstrations outside these buildings and essentially the people that were to be tagged were important indian officials were people who were stakeholders in this case and the buildings to be demonstrated outside were again offices of the government of india or embassies of the government of mm-hmm. that is what the toolkit talked about and ultimately it some people uh, it was some people were of the opinion that the toolkit is seditious in nature mm-hmm. that it attempted to incite violence that ultimately it was responsible for what happened on the 26th of january and the organization that was behind uh, the toolkit there were two organizations one was one was friday for friday for future led by greta tan and the other was sp spf that is uh, spj sorry six uh-huh. for justice um and one disha ravi who is a 22 year old bangalore based climate uh-huh. rights activist was arrested on the grounds that she edited this document and was therefore uh, a party to this entire document mm. and that is when she was arrested for sedition and uh, other people were arrested along with her as well um and that is when that that is how the entire toolkit controversy happened it essentially served the purpose of uh, furthering the narrative that there was international um, interference which ultimately led to the violence that happened on the 26th and therefore she was tried under uh, basically section 124a and other sections in which they basically accused her of uh, causing hate causing uh, defaming the country and leading to incitement of violence mm-hmm. but the case was ultimately thrown out by the delhi high court because there was no uh, clear connection between uh, what the toolkit was and the violence that happened on 26th uh-huh. january so it was ultimately thrown out uh, by the delhi uh, high court i think it was a delhi session it was a delhi court and yeah that that's essentially it about the toolkit the about toolkits in general though they are actually very common in protests 
in fact when the entire uh, during the ram mandir verdict during the bhumi pujan as well during literally any protest there have been a lot of toolkits that have been circulated even from right wing uh, groups because their only purpose is to uh, amplify pu- public opinion their only purpose is to amplify public voices and i do not find i i do not feel that they have anything any seditious element mm-hmm. in fact basically uh, one mr kapil mishra who is infamous of for having a role in the starting of the delhi riots was said to have released a lot of toolkits as well to shape public opinion on social media so i do not find an I- a problem with the idea of toolkits in general per se okay hmm interesting all right yeah. so okay we talked about the history we talked about how the bill disrupted the whole pharma system we talked about 26th we talked about what happened on the 26th of january we talked about rihana we ultimately touched the toolkit practices can you shed light on whatever has happened after the one or two weeks of the toolkit discussion to till date what what's the farmer update can you tell us anything about that all right so talking about the actual protest that's been going on in around, in and around delhi the farmers protest uh, the especially after 26 when the violence was universally condemned the protest in that part fizzled out for a while to the extent that a lot of farmers actually left and mm. started going home and that also coincided with the fact that harvest mm. season is approaching march and april is actually the harvest mm. season for the rabi crops the farmers needed to be at home so a lot of them started to leave and about what happened to that red fort one point mm. which i need to add it is believed that the person who is responsible for the violence at the red forts is an individual called b okay. who had who had very conspicuously left the bjp around a month before the protest started and had joined the protest in solidarity mm-hmm. with the farmers for that used to he essentially managed sunny deol's campaign during the 2019 okay. lok sabha elections the allegation from the side of the farmer unions was that he was acting at behest of the bjp in order to malign the protest in order to uh, basically de- defame the protest to discredit the entire process so that was one allegation that was being put there and to that effect a lot of farmers were arrested in fact one labor rights activist by the name of nodeep kaur was arrested and she was released only 2 days ago so that entire thing happened but there was a shift in the protests in general as they moved more towards western up okay so the bhartiya kisan union which is led by one naresh tiket a very popular farmer leader um a video of his had gone viral with in which he was a bit emotional as to how the protests were fizzling out as to how his uh, the other farmers were being arrested and stuff and that actually led to a resurgence of sorts in western up western up when we talk about uh, places such as meerut uh-huh. saharanpur uh, muzaffarnagar in fact a lot of mahapanchayats were held at muzaffarnagar where a lot of farmers came together sat and uh, the basic um, the protest base shifted from the punjabi community to the jhat community especially living in western up and even now the protests at singhu and tikri have not been abandoned in fact people are going home in shifts okay. now so to 
for the planting and harvesting what they're doing is they're going home in shifts and once that that job is done they're coming back mm. so the protest in their opinion is far from over but the the since the past few days it's been at a stalemate honestly there has been no considerable uh, movement to uh, to these issues the protesters are there the government has planned to stick to their original idea of staying the acts for 18 mm. months if required and that's essentially it that's there is no there has been no new development to these issues all right so if the government has decided to um delay the whole decision by 18 months then why are they still protesting the, the uh, as i mentioned earlier the farmers are of the opinion that the staying will not do anything because ultimately that that does not have any guarantee that the uh, that they will mm. listen to the demands and that could this has two implications first of all this could be used as an election tool mm. in 2022 which is something that the farmers are electing since 2022 is when punjab has mm. uh, the state elections if i'm not wrong uh and secondly this is all, the farmers are alleging that this can also be used to divert public opinion because a year and a half later it is hard to achieve that level of public opinion that level of public sentiment that is there in favor mm. of farmers right now so the farmers are content, are contending this point on that part and they stand by their fact that the actual discussions the consideration should have been taken should have been taken into account before the acts were passed in the first place so they basically okay do you think they basically saw what happened with the ca and rc protest the pandemic came people are still protesting nothing uh, nothing significant has happened no decision no significant decision has been taken and the protesters of the nrc issue are still protesting they're not being helped and the farmers are basically scared that even if the decision is being uh, delayed to 18 months ultimately they're going to be in the state where the ca protesters are right now so in order to not do that they plan to prolong the a uh, protest no matter the cost and that that's that's true in fact about ca touching on that tangent the rules of the ca which is how the the act is actually implemented have not yet been formulated mm. over a year later so the concern of the farmers are similar that the entire the entire consultation will be stalled and that is not helped by the fact that the supreme court had some time ago appointed a committee of four members to review the acts and to receive consultations on the same and every single member of the committee had in the past spoken in favor of the new acts and against the protests wow so the the farmers are also mistrusting of the fact that if such a measure is taken there is actually no safeguard that they would actually mm. be heard again so one very major criticism of the government in this case is that it has exposed the government's uh-huh. trust deficit in the people because it is ultimately the government's job to explain to the people who it affects what is what uh, what is that they're trying to do and how it is beneficial for them and to do that first of all alienation should not be there because one very important one very major concept in the government's repression was to discredit the entire protest it was to say that either the protesters were acting on behalf of opposition parties external forces anti national uh. forces and what not so obviously if you are going to alienate a group of people that way you are not leaving any scope for any reconciliation uh. or any understanding that that's how psychology works right so uh, to so the actual reconciliation process the mediation process 
should have been done before the entire social media outrage before the entire discreditment of the farmers was done that is one opinion that is being wow, around okay. um to the people who must be wondering right now when you said that even after the consultation of the four committee members from the ca issues when the committee relied in favor of the protesters and not in front of the go- in favor of the government the government still foresaw everything and decided not to do anything about it i'm going to tell you that is the reason why india was recently declared as a partially free nation by one of the un reports reports am i right yash yeah it was actually a us organization uh, which assesses uh, political freedom and the um, rating was downgraded from f- mm. uh, free to partly free and it was very hotly yeah. in the past few days as well uh, the parameters that they considered were very relevant to our conversation here essentially about uh, freedom to protest mm. freedom of expression freedom to expression particularly because this entire protest fiasco has led to a lot of repression on twitter and other social media handles on the reporting these incidents because ultimately twitter has no onus to uh, respond to a government but because it is the government which allows a uh, twitter to function in india it has to comply with the demands so that entire freedom came into aspect the new it rules which have also come recently are also very relevant i will mm-hmm. go into very detail upon them but they essentially say that any person can report any content as uh, mm. malicious and that 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 has to be taken into cognizance by the courts so essentially moral policing at a very widespread level very widespread so that those are the primary reasons why the government the country has been downgraded to partially free makes sense make makes perfect sense hmm. suddenly i remember the issue where munawar farik uh, i believe if that is maybe faruqi okay Faruqi. the comedian who was arrested for a joke that he might have said Mm. he exactly. did not make in fact because the arguments that were submitted in the bhopal high court if i'm not wrong were that they were aware that he was going to make that joke and that is why they arrested him um, mm. in anticipation which again has no legal standing wow i be- okay yash yeah. i believe we've come a full circle about the whole conversation we've touched a lot of topics now uh, for all the people who do not know yash also has a blog to which I'll attach the links in the description for your Spotify playlist. Yash, thanks a lot for joining in for this conversation. I had loads of fun. I mean, really, learning is fun for me. I was waiting for someone to actually just sit down, answer my questions, dumb down things to me. Because when it comes to politics, um, I'm not too much active. I don't know what's going on. So I always love if a person could just come down, sit with me, explain everything to me. And you did a phenomenal job at that. You were, you've helped a lot of people understand about this particular issue. and coming from a fellow teenager most people will trust you coming from a 50 year old or 60 year old or i don't know maybe 30 year old uncle speaking or shouting at a tv will not make much sense but you did thanks a lot yash for joining in thank you so much for having me it's it's been a great time uh, on this podcast and honestly i really thank you for giving me the platform to share my opinions because ultimately um to to whoever is listening to this podcast i will not say that whatever i am saying is 100% right is the gospel truth and you cannot have any opinions against that all that i stand for in life in general is that mm. opinion should be rational like if i believe in something i must have the reasons and the facts to back it and if you have uh, opinions that do not match with what we have talked about right now 
although we did try yeah. to be as balanced as possible and if you have facts and reason to support that that is absolutely okay because ultimately that is the entire point of debates and politics in general right to discuss our differences in a social in a social in an accepted manner and to move forward with life in a manner that uh-huh. essentially helps everyone so that all that i have to say to my viewers and again um, arnav thank you so amazing much amazing dude uh, thank you thank you for being here thank, thank you, you.